Hello, Pioneers. This is Mr. Norman. I'm here at the English department. Um, we're going to introduce ourselves, and then we'll begin discussing our One School, One Story book, which is the 57 bus. Hey, guys. It's Ms. Paolone. Uh, Mrs. Rivers. Uh, Mr. Duku. Ms. Matthews here. And Mr. McClanahan here. All right. Thanks for joining us uh, to hear our discussion about the first pages of the book. We're not going to discuss the plot, so don't worry about spoilers, but we are going to discuss up to about page 55 or so, because that provides some background information for the uh, narrative later on. Let's begin by looking at page 33, everybody. On page 33, there are several categories for gender and sex, sexuality, romantic inclination. Um, Let's discuss any discoveries we made in here, uh, any thoughts we had as we were reading, and generally how you responded to seeing it laid out this way. Um, first of all, I didn't realize there were this many categories. I think that was the shocker for me. Um, and then just the different subtopics, terms for gender and sex, terms for sexuality, terms for romantic inclination. I, I don't think I would have ever put them in those categories and not even thought of it. The romantic inclination one to me was an eye opener because I had never mm -hmm. before thought of separating sexuality from romantic inclination. So that was kind of interesting and also explained some stuff for me, <laughs> cleared some stuff up a bit. Yeah. I was especially interested in the last term in that category, the romantic inclination one, the mm -hmm. queer, you know, anyone want to? Give that a shot. Quirio Quirio romantic. Quite romantic, yeah, maybe. It's spelled Q-U-O-I-R-O-M-A-N-T-I-C. And <laughs> defined as doesn't understand the difference between romantic and platonic love. Now, platonic love, to give some context, is love that is not sexual or romantic. It's more, well, some people might say it's a pure kind of love. It's loving unconditionally without the attached sexual or romantic um, aspects of it. I thought that was fascinating that there are people who just don't understand the difference mm -hmm. between the two. Um, and like um, as Matthew said, it explains a lot. I've, I've definitely met people who we've said, you know, they're just not really sexual in any way. They never had relationships with people out of choice. And I think a lot of it is they just don't see the purpose. And that was eye-opening for me. It's very interesting. Uh, all joking aside, though, you th I think of the movie When Harry Met Sally a little bit because mm -hmm. for me as a cisgender male, right, um, and that's it's helpful to, to find that term in here as well uh, mm -hmm. so that you can sort of find yourself in this glossary as well or what you recognize yourself as. Um, I think that growing up a cisgender male, I, I wouldn't necessarily say uh, there were expectations. I, I didn't feel expectations, which makes me feel guilty a little bit, um, but at the same time, you know, this whole movie, Harry Met Sally, this idea is it possible for cisgender males and cisgender females to be close friends and this idea between romantic and platonic love. Um, and there, I, I, that's a very real thing um, and has been a real thing for me growing up because um, not anymore because I'm married. But, you know, I mean, uh, prior to that, you, you develop close relationships with uh, cisgender females and you, you ask yourself, what is this? You know, mm -hmm. um, and, and obviously this concept of being sexually attracted to someone or loving someone platonically, it's, it's hard to find a, sometimes hard to find a, a, a line between those things, you know? Um, so that, that, that stands out to me for a different reason. Not so much like Mr. Norman saying about people who, you know, who you just seem sort of asexual potentially or not interested. This stands out to me as something where, you know, understanding 
as, as a cisgender person, how am I supposed to interact with this person? Like, do I feel these ways and expectations and all these sorts of things, you know, and even with people like female cousins or, or something, you know, like people who you're close to and you feel like there's this, am I being weird right now? Like, this is my cousin, like, but we're just really close. Mm-hmm. Or, I don't know. It's just an interesting, it just brought up a lot of interesting thoughts about that sort of thing. And of course, as an English teacher, I love the language aspect of this. The fact that there were things that maybe I was aware of. I mean, we've all had that um, person who we would love to be sexually attracted to because we love them in so many other ways, right? Obviously, before I was married. Um, but the the idea that I, I feel romantically inclined towards this person, and yet the sort of physical attraction is not there. What is this? I love the fact that there's some language for it. And that sometimes you you have these undefinable, you know, think, feelings, emotions, or concepts that kind of float around in your brain. And until you can put a name to it, it's not something you can actually even wrap your brain around. So I, I like that aspect of language. I appreciate that our conversation right now is mirroring a lot of what these terms are trying to do, which is demonstrate that these are spectrums and that it's a gray zone throughout. And everyone is somewhere different Mm -hmm. from another person because there are many variables. We have the romantic variable, the sexual variable, we have uh, sex, and then we have gender. Mm -hmm. They're all different variables. And the fact is that's causing us to talk about our own identities and explore our own identities, which is proof enough that people deserve respect and love wherever they are in this journey, wherever they are in this spectrum, because they might not be where we are, but that's potentially just as valid as where I am, right? It's good perspective for me to see. Um, and <clears throat> Ms. Matthews brought up the idea of, and both Mr. M- Ms. Matthews and Ms. McClendon, this idea of them being married. And it's something I never really thought about until I looked at this, how I refer to my wife. And I realized I don't refer to her as my wife. I mostly refer to her as my partner. And it's something I, it, we discussed, how do we want to introduce each other when we meet people? Um, and partner was one of those words we wanted to use to introduce each other. And it's, it, you know, this sort of made it a little clearer as why we wanted to do it. What are the expectations someone should have when they meet us? How, how should they deal with us? How should they treat us? How should they see our relationship? So she's, she's a she, not my wife, but my partner. Something I never really put, you know, thoughts to. I think that this particular term we're talking about, too, about not understanding the difference between romantic and platonic love comes into, from an educational standpoint, um, someone that has learning challenges. You know, we have people that have on the spectrum that don't understand those kind of emotional ties. And so this gave, for me, gave me a term that kind of is like, that. yeah, there's not an understanding that that's not there. So there was a part of the, the, the autism spectrum and the Asperger's, which comes into play with, with our main character a little bit, um, but that, that shows us that there's a term for that as well. Um, yeah, I, I, this is something that I, I think from my own personal experience, what Mrs. Rivers is talking about here, I, I really kind of went through the stages of understanding and tolerance when I got to this chapter of reading the book, because my first inclination, my first reaction is, man, this feels like too much, you know, it sort of feels as though, um, as much as I, it, it, well, the stages are, 
because you haven't experienced it, because you can't uh, empathize because it's not your experience, your thought is, is this too much? And then you start to realize, as Mr. Norman was saying earlier, that it provides, and Mrs. Rivers is saying, it provides people who don't have my experience with the, the ability to uh, to live and to understand what their feelings are. And and that's that's really the stage of tolerance and the stage of empathy is, is you say to yourself, man, this doesn't, this feels kind of silly. And then you sort of open up and realize, well, that's not, it doesn't matter. It shouldn't matter to me that way because this is not my experience, you know. Um, the fact that it provides somebody with not my experience with the ability to have a good life demonstrates why tolerance is so important. I, you know, so I, I can attest to that. So what comes to mind for me, and it, it dovetails uh, a lot over what Mr., uh, from what Mr. McClenahan said, and I wholeheartedly agree with it, that at first these terms, starting on page 33 for me, were also a, a little heavy. Um, whether some of them were around, for example, when I was in high school or not, and just were simply not mentioned, whatever the case may be, um, some of them did seem at first um, excessive and just very hard for me to connect with. Um, and that I can attribute that to possibly a generational thing, but also being um, you know, a cisgender, you know, heterosexual female. Um, I do find it interesting that friends of mine have kids that are experiencing some of the, these terminologies as we sit here and discuss them. And it makes it a little easier for me to um, not necessarily wholeheartedly um, understand them up front, but at least, you know, begin some sort of a, an assimilation process. Um, you know, I have a few suits and women's ties. And in years ago, if you were to have worn that in public, um, you could be seen in two different ways. You could be a, a Woody Allen, Annie Hall fan, for those who are in some <laughs> arts. And, um, but, or it could also lead to a different um, label or term for gender and preference. Mm -hmm. And it's a little bit easier now. And um, I think that this book is one step in that direction. That point of clothing is really good one because it is central to this book, but also central to identity because it's how we project our internal identity uh, into the world. So mm -hmm. people learn about us from the way we dress. So I'm going to offer myself as an example that we can discuss for a minute and move on to the next question. But that is, I identify as a, this is Mr. Norman speaking, by the way, I identify as a cisgender, heterosexual man. I always felt like a man. I never had to actually think about whether I'm a man or not. It was just like, I'm a man. And that felt right and to me and felt like my body matched that. And But all that being said, I'm also a man who wears a skirt. Some people call it a kilt. Whatever. It's a skirt. <laughs> um, it's a and I do so. Yeah. I do so because I like the style, I like the functionality of it. I, I think it makes more sense for our climate. There are many reasons. None of them. It's absolutely true. I'm not in climate. Like the Greeks and Romans were. They wore dresses and skirts. So freeze. Um, exactly. So, offering myself as an example, what does that mean for me in this place and at this time? Well, I love one of the quotes um, on page 45 is that there is an older woman who comes up to Sasha at a bus stop and says, why are you wearing Spoiler a skirt? Alert. Mm -hmm. Well, no. It's wild. It's wild. You can read the flap and know what this what that book is about. But, but their response is, I'm wearing a skirt because I like wearing skirts. Um, you know, I don't question why 
of somebody wear, why do you wear black all the time? I wear black because I like wearing black. It's, it's, that's what I, I think is like, do we have to have a reason <coughs> besides I just like it? It's comfortable. I like the way it looks. I, whatever it is, I like it because I like it. I just want to go off of what Mrs. Rivers was saying because she mentioned the pronoun they, um, and that you'll find is a very um, prominent uh, change in, in, in common language that you have to get comfortable with. Uh, and as an English teacher who grades essays, the subject pronoun agreement thing, yeah. um, it's, it really throws a monkey wrench in the system that we know. But I can say from my experience that it becomes um, – it makes you feel good to read it after a while because you realize that you can feel yourself becoming okay with it and like becoming, having it become like something that you're fine with and understand. Mm -hmm. And it's not a hard change, you know? Um, and, um, and so, you know, th there's a conversation we had about that though, because you ask yourself, is it necessary to say it all the time or just for people who would prefer for you to say it? Um, and that's an interesting conversation to have. Is it something we should change and uplift or, um, turn over and completely reconstruct, or is it just something we have to consider for people who, who would like you to consider it? Um, bringing the conversation back to the topic of clothing, Mr. Norman points out the idea of the Greeks used to wear dresses, and I think something we don't have in our culture and our society is the sense of global awareness. Our idea that dresses as this as Ms. Riz, mrs rivers has pointed out the woman the older woman who points out that sasha's wearing a skirt skirts are for girls it's a piece of clothing that cultures wear for functionality think of any mediterranean culture think of any east you know east asian culture they all wear dresses to some degree i mean we could even we could even boil this down to fabric linen and at one point the description of the the skirt he's wearing in the first page of the book they're wearing they're wearing thank you very much <laughs> um is gauze you know which would be seen as a very feminine uh material but we are in this western society we see clothing as a moniker of our sexuality and our gender but we don't see it as part of just other cultures and this is allows us to look at other cultures differently and in some case other other cultures but the idea that we are sort of unaware of anything that has happened outside of our own lifespan which is not a good way to be um just being away aware of other cultures and things like that and i think of children and you look at children if they haven't sort of been socialized yet into gender roles and things like that they don't care what they wear Course. They don't care what they wear. So the assumption that there are some clothings that are inherently male or inherently female is absolute nonsense. You know, and you can look at it in a little kid standing in the living room putting on a goofy hat and a skirt and cowboy boots, you know what I mean, and just feeling good because they're getting to choose what they put on their body. Hello, Pioneers. Welcome to the second part of the English department's discussion of the 57 bus. Enjoy. Uh, do you think our society sees agender and transgender people as different from each other? If so, how do you think that being transgender or agender is different from being homosexual? Let's pick that apart a little bit and reflect on that. Well, the first thing I want to say about that 
is is sort of back to what Mrs. Matthews and Mr. Duke were saying because it's really about appearance, right? If you if you met someone and you didn't know if they didn't tell you I, I, I see myself as agender, I see myself as transgender, then the only way that you would have any perception is how you view that person. So what they what that person is wearing is going to help you determine if if you're being judgmental, you know what this person is, and then when that person's appearance doesn't fit what you think is quote unquote normal, that's when you start thinking differently about someone. But ultimately, if I met someone and I was introduced to that person as this person and I got to know that person and I didn't know anything about that person, the only thing I would have would be who that person is and how we interact. It's not until the uh, in, until we, we learn about someone, who they are, that we, we can base opinions off of who they are. But, um, you know, in my experience, it, it's you have to keep yourself from assuming things by visuals, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you have to get to know the person before you before you just jump to conclusions based on how he or she or they or however they'd like to uh, be called um, looks, right? Which doing so is being loving, Mm -hmm. is being respectful, right? We love everybody because they're a fellow human being. We're Mm -hmm. called to do that. And it's so important that that is our default, not the judgment part of it. Mm -hmm. But I see so many times that judgment is first and then loving comes after, or at least the attempt to love. I love how Mr. McLennan brought up that we need to change uh, as a society, as a community and ourselves, we need to change to loving being the default. That is what we are right. called to do because we are all <clears throat> humans and we need to respect that. Fact. And Jesus himself said, you shall know my people by the love. Yes. And may I point out he wore a dress. Ah, love it. <laughs> strappy sandals. <laughs> strappy sandals. <laughs> when thinking about this question about whether society sees agender and transgender people as different from each other, oh, I okay. I don't think that there has been enough education involved that there is a difference, that there is age. No, I don't think they see that there's a difference because they haven't been educated that those are two separate terms and that because agender is I do not identify as a gender at all. Transgender is I identify differently from my birth sex. And so, you know, I am a, am a transgender male means I was born a female, but now um, consider myself a male, whether they've gone through a whole the change process or whatever. And I don't think that society breaks those apart enough that yeah, that there's not a, enough of an education of a, an awareness that those are two different things. And it's important. That's why I really loved this glossary of, in, you know, this index of, of terms was like, okay, we're really breaking stuff down. And I needed a lot of that education as well. Yeah. Bring education is a key, right? We, we don't understand things until someone teaches them to us and gives us the words to define them. Um, as for whether society sees agender and transgender people as different, um, I agree. I don't think they do. I think there is a large uh, cis, cisgender heterosexual population that tends to see us and everybody else, mm-hmm. right? And, and, and that's dangerous because that's a very like, we're the normal ones and everyone else is deviant, which is a really, really dangerous area to get into. There is no normal. There is no default mode. 
And to go on to that second part of that question about whether um, being transgender or agender is different than being um, homosexual, I think that's a part of not understanding either. Mm -hmm. You can have a transgender male whose birth sex is female and is still attracted to females. Mm -hmm. And so I think that there is that, well, you are transgender male, you must be gay. You know, it's a default that we just make assumptions Mm-hmm. when those assumptions aren't always and it's kind correct. of interesting there there's a bit of a social like hierarchy because you could argue that uh in our country uh, the lesbian and gay community has been for most intents and purposes accepted uh and so it's almost like the last one here kind of gets the mm-hmm. most grief um because i do i mean my brother for one is gay and he has a sense of, I don't get this transgender thing. I don't, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He struggles, with, which sort of surprised me because I thought, well, you of all people should be able to, but, but that again is an assumption on a cisgender female point of view that I'm now lumping him in with transgender people and assuming that because he's gay, he should understand transgender mm-hmm. people. There's no reason he actually should, but it's an interesting sort of dynamic that I think you probably do have some homosexual cisgender people who are maybe a bit prejudiced against transgender. Absolutely. And, um, you know, just on the, on top of all of this, I think just thinking to myself, um, Mrs. Rivers was talking a bit about education and, and the lack of education. And I think that in my experience, the best way to go around your lack of knowledge is to ask, mm-hmm. right. Um, you just, just ask the question, what, how do I, to any person who would, who is, who, um, whose perspective, whose experiences are different from yours, just, I don't, I can't quite wrap my head around that, you know, um, can you explain that to me, especially in a situation that Mrs. Rivers is talking about, a person who is transgender, but also attracted, uh, and in this case, somebody who is physically attracted, sexually attracted to a female, born a female, a transgender male, um, do you prefer to be called a homosexual transgender male? Or I mean, the, these are these are sort, certain things. That, I think these are questions that are okay to ask, and we shouldn't feel um, like we're we're crossing some boundary hmm. trying to because ultimately you're just trying to be understanding and to be empathetic and to be. And if the person says it doesn't matter, then that's fine. But if the person explains, then it's up to you to you know recognize that and and. You know, I'm bad enough asking someone what their name is and then forgetting it the second after they tell me. But it's up to you. If someone says, I want to be, I don't, I want to refer to as they, then it's up to you to remember that. You it's know? coming um, from a place of love. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, and and understanding. I mean, it's asking questions and learning and changing and evolving and, you know, all those things. Um, one thing I, I really like about this second question is it talks about gender and sexuality. And one of the things we do as a society is we lump both of those things together. Um, Judith Butler, a philosopher and this, a feminist writer, she talks about how, we, how gender is performative. Mm-hmm. We pretend and we play a gender. We can play whatever role we want. And it's, you know, all the physical attributes, whether it's, you know, we have breasts or not have breasts, I have a penis or a vagina, what color I wear, these things to the public says who I am. Now, on the other hand, what I really like, the other thing I really like about this question is how we just assume sexuality is this thing that's attached to a gender. 
you must be attracted to someone to have sex with them. And that's the thing that I noticed about, I forgot a couple pages where Sasha's mother asks, well, who, who do you like? Yeah. Who do you want to have sex with? (laughs) And this idea of sexuality, which is this very taboo thing in our society, we keep lumping together based on, you know, whether you are a gender or biologically male or biologically female, and it's something we need to change. You know, and everyone has talked about this. We need to educate ourselves. And sexuality and sex is one of those things we need to be better with as a society and discuss Mm -hmm. in open doors without hiding behind this door as though it is something that it is so taboo that we cannot touch it until, you know, we've gotten to this point that, it's too far beyond. And before all our prejudices is set in, we actually have to discuss these things um, before we start assuming things and, and be free to discuss these things. There's a quote on page 32, smack dab in the middle of the page, says, most of us see gender and sexuality and romance as one big interconnected mm-hmm. tangle of feelings. This is who I am. This is who I'm attracted to. This is who I love. Um and that's, that's, I think that is the yeah. quote you were thinking of. It just was in front of there. And so I have that same quote underlined in my book. As yeah. <laughs> nice. See, they're annotating. <laughs> it's useful. See, what does that mean? Too. I've never done that before. <laughs> <laughs> so in terms of, you know, do, how we view um, transgender or agender people or how society views romantic and sexual preference, um, um, one scenario in my life is a very close friend of mine's daughter um, says, and I quote, I fall in love with the soul of the person. It has mm-hmm. nothing to do with what they look like, their their sexual preference, etc. And my response was, okay, so you're bisexual. And she quickly kind of shot me down and said, no, 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 I'm pansexual. And I'm I'm still a little confused on the difference, but she also told me that she believes that there's more than one, more than two uh, genders. And which again, I, as long as if that's someone's you know belief system, and again, if they're a happy, content human being, then I have, then that's fabulous. But I, I do still have a little bit of trouble differentiating between, between the two. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you brought up the idea of the soul because I'd, I'd like us to end today with a quote from the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And, you know, we have a Catholic identity that has such an important role in all of this. So I'd like to quote this as a guiding light for uh, further discussions down the road. It reads, quote, The human body shares in the dignity of the image of God. It is a human body precisely because it is animated by a spiritual soul. So that's lovely. I like that because what that says to me is what makes us human is our soul and not the body that it happens to be encased in. So I can see why your your friend's daughter says what she says. If I love the soul of the person, then it doesn't matter what the outside package looks like or identifies as. And uh, ultimately, that, like you've said a couple times, Mr. Norman, that's what we're called to do, is to love one another. Thank you. What a beautiful way to Jesus end. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> I want to thank everybody who listened. Um, I sincerely hope you enjoy the text as much as I did, and I know fellow English department members enjoyed the text and learned so much from it. Um, Mm -hmm. So thanks for listening, and hopefully you can tune into further discussions and hear us yammer on down the road.
Have a good day, everybody. Go Pioneers.